This episode of the Vergecast is brought to you by Cyber Systems. That's S I. And Eli, yeah. how do you spell cyber? I'm doing it. I hate you, Dieter. I was helping. I think it's it's cyber. It's S I B E R. <laughs> Look, they make a product called RoboForm, which is available for Windows, Mac, iOS, Android, Chrome OS, and Linux with support for all major browsers, including Microsoft Edge. It's a product that lets you automatically fill in forms and passwords so you don't end up reusing the same passwords over and over and over again or letting browsers auto-save your login information. RoboForm instantly generates stronger passwords. It saves those passwords automatically. and lets you log in with a single click. Just visit roboform.com and download today or check out the app in the App Store for iOS or Android. For a limited time only, you get $10 off RoboForm Everywhere subscription when you use the promo code VERGE. So simplify and secure your online journey today with the RoboForm Password Manager. Hello, and welcome to the VergeCast which is the flagship podcast of The Verge. And I believe every podcast everywhere. Oh. I'm just going for it this week. The best boat. Are you the best, the finest boat in the land? <laughs> I'm Neelai. Paul is here. Hello. Dieter is here. Hello, hello. I will say this. Last week was a little bit of a ride because there was no yeah. news. We just sort of fell right off the edge of that nonsense cliff. This week... In comparison, hmm. full of news. Yeah. Too much news. One of the newsiest weeks ever. Uh, and I will, I'll say this. Lauren Grosh is going to join us for the second half of the show because she was at the Falcon Heavy launch. She hung out with Elon Musk there, one of the few people to interview him at the Falcon Heavy launch. She watched it take off. Elon Musk, by the way, smells like oud suede. <laughs> It's free advertising, man. <laughs> we charge for that. Uh, I actually don't know if he does or not. We'll find out. I bet he, we'll ask Lauren. Anyway, but Lauren yeah. watched the Falcon Heavy take off. She watched it break into its constituent parts, and she watched two of those parts land. And then we all watched the car float around space. I watched the car. Yeah. Which was amazing. So Lauren's going to join us in the second half, but there's tons of just tech news this week. So mm -hmm. let's start. Dieter, you started us off with a bang on Monday. You had the big exclusive on Intel's Vaunt. Glasses, which I don't want to. I don't. I mean, it's exciting, but they kind of they're kind of like a pebble for your face. Is that is that the that situation? Is, that's the uncharitable way to put it. Um, yeah. I'm an uncharitable person, so that's one of the ways that I put it in the story. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you know, face pebble. Yeah. Uh, so okay, these are smart glasses from Intel. That uh, the prototypes don't look exactly normal, but they they could potentially look super normal. And the way that the they got there is they cut out all the other crap that usually goes into their smart eyeglasses. There's no camera. There's no touch panel. The batteries are very small. And the display is very low power, so they don't need to power a bunch of pixels, and they don't need to have a bunch of colors and whatever. Um, and the way that it works is it has a Vixel, which is a, shoot, vertical cavity something something laser. It's a very tiny laser. The best part of that uh, is laser is also an acronym. So it's an acronym yeah. that goes into of an, an acronym. acronym. But a pixel is yeah. not like a pixel. Correct. Not a pixel. Pixel it, is not an acronym. Mm. It's not. Don't look at me that way. We'll never know. Anyway, we'll keep going. Know. A pixel laser. It, it shines into a reflective area on the glasses, the lens, and then that reflects into the back of your retina. And so you get a perfectly sharp image beamed by a laser directly into your eyeball and it connects over Bluetooth to your phone, obviously. Um, but all the electronics can be really small so they can just fit in the, like the front half of both sides of the stems of the glasses. And their goal is to 
I don't know, like they don't want to just do notifications. They say they have an AI, Intel talked about AI before, and like they used to have, what's his name from Big Bang Theory, talk about Intel AI. Anyway, they intend to release this thing to developers as an early access program. Don't call it whatever Google Glass called their thing. The Explorer Edition. Apparently. Yeah, Explorer Edition. You are exploring um, looking like a moron. And they, they want people to make apps for it. Um, there's a whole bunch of nerdy history we can talk about here if you want to. Yes, please. Um, That's what we do here. I, I think the first first thing, first everybody's first question, it's safe to shoot yeah. light lasers into your eyes, correct? So I have not independently verified this with, I don't know, an ophthalmologist. Okay. But they say, Intel says that this is barely a class one laser. It's like at the bottom end of class one mm -hmm. and you have to start getting approvals and regulatory blahs once you hit class two. Right. So they're super not worried about it. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, light goes into your eyes all the time. Yeah, but it's true. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Just slightly more focused light. In laser form. <laughs> laser focused, so much. Oh, oh my god. What if what if you got burn in on your retina for this? Oh thing? man. So Dieter, wasn't there another crazy like virtual display? There's like a great picture of you. What was that thing called that was also retinal projection? Do you oh, know what I'm that about? was yeah, that was the Avagant glyph. Right. So that was also retinal projection, right? That they weren't like there wasn't like an L C D in front of you. They were like beaming yeah. full color into your eyes. It was I just like a huge right. headset. Yeah. It was a giant, crazy, huge headset, and it had, I think it was a 720p resolution or something, and it was full color and blah, blah, blah. This Ooh. is 150 by 400 pixels, monochrome red, um, and when you aren't looking sort of down into your right in your peripheral vision there, you don't see it at all. It's just completely gone, which is kind of crazy. Like, I thought... I first when I first used it, I was like, this is broken. And they're like, no, it's not. I'm like, well, maybe it's misaligned. They're like, maybe, but do you see it? And I like kind of glanced down and there it was. I was like, oh, that's the point. It if you don't want to look at it, you don't have to. Does this feel like looking down at a book or are you like how awkward no, is it to look down at it? You it's it's just sort of I don't know. Like if you're looking at your computer, how awkward is it to like look at the shift key? Or the delete key actually is probably a better I'm a touch better, type uh, metaphor. You know that about me. <laughs> it's just sort of there. What's interesting is having it on all day, you you can like learn to ignore it. And But if there's movement there, like when it switches from one thing to the next thing, because I was just looking at a demo loop, mm. you notice it. It's like you see movement in your peripheral vision. And because your eyes are never just laser focused straight ahead. They kind of roam around you know, all the time. And so through your natural roaming around, if there's useful information down in that corner, you'll notice it and look at it. But so, you don't, because you don't have to focus on it. Right. That's the thing. Like right. I, there's useful information on my computer screen all the time. And I'm like, oh, that's probably some stuff. I'm not going to look at that now. Cause I have to like look at it, but this mm -hmm. is always in focus. Right. So you like look down and you just like see it. Yep. If there was like a flashing red alert down there, would it maybe get your attention? Probably, yes. It would probably be super annoying. They really want this thing to be not annoying. Um, so they're, they're not intending on having it just blast all your notifications through. They really want every, all the information to be super contextual. Um, you know. Blah, okay, blah, so blah. Here, here's my set of questions. So it's okay. really I, I, that's, that's all I'm here for is answer questions about this thing. Because I've, I've, I've been it. talking about it and writing about it and make, like editing videos about this thing since literally December. Wow. And so like – I don't know what is interesting about it anymore because, like, I've been spending so much time with it. Yeah, you're in it. 
Okay, so it's a pair of glasses. They look really normal-ish. Right? Yeah. They're a little bit heavier than regular glasses, but you wear them, and there's a cool display technology in it. We were at CES. We saw lots of cool display technologies integrated in glasses. I was like, it was just a theme of our show. But like a cool display is like a, just like a monitor, right? Like they need to connect it to some software. And so to do contextual notifications, like those come from your phone. Is Apple going to let them read every notification on the iPhone and do some stuff and pipe it to these glasses? Yeah. So <laughs> here's where we get nerdy. Uh, one, uh, probably not. Uh, they'll have the same access to notifications that Pebble did, for example. And that wasn't enough for Pebble to be really successful. Mm. Now, uh, you, there's no there, – the only – Wait, we should also clarify thing, that uh, the Pebble guy works on the, on the Vaunt team, right? Yeah, yeah. So the – his name is Itai Vonchak. He, um, or sorry, Itai Vonchak. He was the, he didn't found Pebble. He wasn't there at the beginning, but he was the one who created that timeline interface that Pebble had where like you could like scroll up and back and forth through your timeline on the smartwatch. Yeah. It was really smart. It had really neat animations. Anyway, the, the glasses input, they have an accelerometer and a compass, right? And so they can, it can sort of tell what direction you're looking and it could theoretically use that as inputs for gestures for like dismissing notifications or whatever. Um, it may eventually also have a microphone, so that may get them to the point where they run into problems where you want to act on a notification and therefore it doesn't have enough OS access. But their vision, from what I've been able to gather, and everyone's making light of this, is that the thing gets programmed basically via JavaScript, um, which is crazy that they can fit a thing that can parse JavaScript on your on your face. <laughs> Just think about that for a second. Um, but... In between, like before, he was at Pebble. He was at WebOS, or not? He was working on WebOS, and he was working on the WebOS TV. And the interesting thing about the WebOS TV and LG wasn't that it was WebOS; is that it the whole thing was designed from the jump to basically act like Google Cast, right? And so mm. it, he understood that like the important thing about a TV was getting streams of information from the internet. And mm. reading between the lines of what they were willing to talk about with the software, the important part of this thing isn't necessarily that I can gather information from the operating system from the phone. The important thing is that it is able to act as an endpoint for stuff on the internet. And all the phone really needs to do is provide access to the, to the internet. And then if you've got a cloud service, if you're Yelp or whatever, you can talk directly to the glasses and not, you know, have to deal with, you know, iOS's app limitations. No! That's my, that's my <laughs> idea. Wrong! <laughs> Wait, Why what? is that wrong? <laughs> okay. Paul, by the way, if you're in your car, you're listening, what you missed was Paul during that entire explanation, Paul inhaling air and getting tenser and, and tenser and tenser <laughs> and then and then bellowing the word no. This is what was wrong. Okay, in 2012, oh I wrote uh -huh. a absurdly insightful piece <laughs> about Google Glass. <laughs> Then known as Project Glass. Yeah. I was in on yeah. this early. Yeah. Google thought it was... <laughs> you got to remember your insight. It was an internet computer thing <laughs> yeah. that helps yeah. you connect to the computer. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. Helps you connect to the internet. That's right. Right. You got it. I dove into the delightful and insightful and amazing history of wearable computing. Okay. Uh-huh. Which were typically... Human augment. So the, one of what the, was the headline of this piece? So uh, can look Project Glass and the Epic History of Wearable Computers. 
Subtitle, How We've Tried to Become More Than Human. So good. So good. <laughs> so, there's so much to look, say. Whenever you try there's something so new, what I want you to look for is something Paul wrote in 2012 that says you're making a mistake. So, a computer, yeah. as someone once said, is like a bicycle for the mind. Yeah. Steve uh-huh. Jobs has said that. It, yeah, 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 yeah. Good guy. It should augment the human. And uh-huh. I, I don't know if Intel's like completely off base, but it, it just the, – the, one of the first things that this reminded me of is that there was a researcher in the early 2000s who was working with just like a little light that would light up in your peripheral vision. And it basically worked like a, like a string around your finger. It'd be like – it would remind you if you'd been sitting too long or like you, you've got something come up just like, hey, what are you forgetting right now? And it would just kind of pop up as a tiny little reminder. Obviously, this could do a lot better at that, like putting text up. Then there's other researchers who are using – they basically made a, like a shared text document or a database of text documents where they would write down all their notes and then when they were in conversation, like the, let's say they were giving someone a tour of the MIT Media Lab, they'd be like uh, bullshitting someone on this tour and they'd like pull up notes and like read notes. Or So like let's say you see somebody and you forget their name. A little prompt could show yeah. up and, and remind you their name. And the, why, why the, the, the Google Glass was so creepy to have a camera? It's because it was an internet camera. Yeah. But the idea if you roll up on somebody with a film camera and just start taking photos, I don't like that either. Yeah, I'm I'm still confused about like where you're going, Paul. I want I want a wearable computer that augments the person. Yeah, but is not a new a new tool for accessing the internet. I want things. So I think they want me remember things. Right. Basically, they want to do both. So one of the one of the hypothetical examples, like, and to be clear, like a lot of these hypotheticals, it's impossible to know if they're actual hypotheticals or if they're like we're saying this is hypothetical, but really we're doing it. So one of their hypotheticals is when an incoming call comes in, mm. we will be able to surface the notes from your last meeting, or will we know that it's that person's birthday, and so you'll be able to start your conversation with, "Hey, it's your birthday." Yeah. All of these examples of like contextually relevant information are they, they set off my internal alarm bell uh, with regard to like Google now in particular, because people have been saying stuff like this for years and it never seems to quite pan out. Uh, I think actually a really good example of this is windows phone. Windows phone promised a world of integrated contextual information and it was people focused and not app focused and blah, 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 blah. Um, and it just, it, I don't know. It didn't work. Yeah, I just I think the display technology is cool. Yeah, I think that's a neat idea. I I I don't know if I agree that WebOS TVs are meant to be these like endpoints. Like I have one. It's a smart TV. It runs apps. Yeah. It is an integrated, complete thought of a computer that displays video on a very nice panel at the end. I don't. I, I that's like a different. You know what I mean? Like it. The idea that you're going to connect a display to a sequence of cloud services that just like push important information to you uh-huh. and use your phone as a Bluetooth modem, that seems different. Like it is meaningfully different, but it has to but know about what's happening in your life. App. Yeah, no, like the other hypothetical, again, I don't know how hypothetical it is, is it knows where you are. 
It mm-hmm. has information from Yelp. And so as you look left and right down the street, it can actually show you augmented information about the thing you're looking at. Right. Which is definitely something people are trying to do with like AR kit and Google's doing very similar things. Yeah. Right. Uh, th- That's look, interesting. Yeah, the, the advance here, as near as I can tell, Dieter, is the glasses don't look insane. Right. Yeah. right. They, the they've built a advance. display in the glasses that look more or less like glasses and way more or less the same as glasses. And because they run JavaScript, there have been other very small computers that can run JavaScript. The, the whole reason you make it run JavaScript is that so regular developers can write stuff for it. Every, everybody, right. every developer knows JavaScript. Mm-hmm. So everybody right. who can make a website could make a service for this ideally. Here's what I want. And then you can mine Bitcoin on it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what about a fact checker? It's always listening to everything you say, God. and it just flashes oh bullshit God. when you start lying. <laughs> That'd be incredible. I, Dieter, it just seems like the, the open question here is very much, how are they, like, are they just going to sell this thing to Google and let Google, like, let Android phones connect to it directly right. and, and, and yeah, so the, triage the, information the, that goes to it? Right. The back half of this story is, uh, well, maybe the front half, I don't know. Um, last week, uh, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, Bloomberg got the scoop that these things existed. Um, and, you know, I was I was under embargo. I couldn't talk about it, but they, Bloomberg did the reporting. And part of their story where they got the basics of what this thing were right, they said that Intel was looking to find an investor for this thing to maybe spin out some other startup to actually sell it. And then the, the investor that they want is you know somebody with quote-unquote retail experience. I think if Intel tries to do this on their own, one, Intel doesn't do this, right? They make smart bulls that they never sell, and they make chips. Um, so it's gotta, they got to spin it out somehow because Intel has no knowledge of how to sell stuff to consumers. Um, but two, they need somebody that can either help them like get into eyeglass stores or they need someone who can help them solve this like platform access problem or both. There's only one answer. I've got two. I know. You go first. Uh, Bixby glasses. <laughs> Samsung buys the tech. Bixby on your face. How about this? A partnership. When you're not looking at it, it's a little line drawing of a cartoon dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every time you look away, the dog starts dancing, but when you try to look down, the dog stops. You can never see Bixby. <laughs> He's always there. I think it should be a partnership, a joint effort between Fitbit and HP to see who can destroy it the quickest. Who can crush this project? All right. Well, I had one other question, Dieter. does this uh, the lasers in your eyes? Has this have anything to, to do with how Magic Leap works? Do you do you know? Magic Leap had apparently um, Sean Hollister actually uh, brought this up in his CNET article. Had looked at similar technology, but uh, we don't know if that is what they intend to use in a final product. Uh, okay. I think the 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 trend that you're picking up on the, all the implementations might be different, mm. but the trend definitely seems to be we're not going to put a screen in front of your face. Correct. We're going to somehow yeah. directly address your eye, yeah. right? Which is yeah. what Magic Leap is doing, which what Avagant was doing, which is what Vaunt is doing. Mm-hmm. The, the, it just seems like we're not looking at a screen is not the right answer for these products, right? Yeah, or placing a holographic screen in front of your eyes is not the right answer for these products, which is what Hololens is essentially doing. Ideally, they'll be able to overlay your vision, so you'll be able to look at a person, like with Magic Leap. I mean, ideally, mm-hmm. you get the AR kit or the AR core experience from a phone right. on your eye. Right. But I think we're just a long but, way. But you have real-world 
objects in front of you that are being tagged. Yeah. Which is kind of why it needs a camera. It really sucks. Let's catch 22. Thanks, Google. But as soon as you put a camera on it, it gets rejected. Yep. Nobody well, so wants my that. great insightful piece was I went to the Indy 500 wearing Google Glass. Uh-huh. I was very hungover that day. That's just I'm just going to be honest with everybody. Okay. And I walked around with that thing, and all the people at the Indy 500 came up to me and said, is that Google Glass? And I would say yes. And they, without, without fail, young, old, rich, poor, whoever, uh-huh. can you see through clothes? It was just the immediate expectation yes. of the product. Yes, that's was, what I'm it saying. It was insanity. So I'm saying, yeah, you, you got to read my piece, 2012. You got to read mine. We'll Indeed. send each other links in Slack. Okay, let's send each other links. <laughs> All right, so that's the VOT. And then on Tuesday, we had HomePod review. What a day. Oh, my gosh. What a day. So Dieter's, like, been working on this thing mm-hmm. for weeks. Becky was out of town over the weekend. Mm-hmm. And I basically only talked to Siri for like two days. And I came, oh. she came home and she was like, Why won't you leave me alone? And I was like, Because you actually answer my questions. And then you wrote an essay on loneliness. <laughs> yeah, I read, so, I, so I picked that word in the headline um, or uh, in the first line that it's just like a lonely product. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean that, <clears throat> you know, you can watch our video. We did, we played with it on Circuit Breaker. If you want to see how it works, go watch that stuff. I just want to talk about, like, philosophically what is going on with the HomePod. Because when I say it's lonely, I, the, it sounds great. The, the, the Apple's first claim is it's a great speaker. I think they've met that goal. I think it's really interesting that they own Beats. And I, you know, I took a tour of their audio lab. I, like, looked at all their fancy stuff. There's... Other people got it too. It's great. It was like a fun day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was on the record. I asked, did you guys talk to the Beats people? And Gary Greaves, who's like director of audio engineering, was just like very carefully answered the question. You know, at various points in development, we allowed trusted listeners to listen to it. Trusted listeners. Trusted listeners. Wow. Which I'm just reading is like every now and again, Jimmy Iovine was like allowed to listen to a home. <laughs> uh, I mean, that aside, but like Beats has this like very distinct sonic signature, right? Mm. It's like it, it is, it's very bass heavy. Some people like it, some people uh, love it, some people hate it, um, but it's like a very distinct signature. And if you listen to the way that Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine would talk about Beats products, they're like, sound quality is garbage. We got to give it back to people, we gotta make it sound like the studio, all of the same kinds of language, but Beats does not offer you like studio sound. Right. It's it's a very tuned sound for this kind of music. It's very, in particular, it is very bass heavy. The HomePod, same language. We want it to sound like a studio, and they actually did tune it to like a pretty flat response curve. Mm. They told me, I was like, is it actually flat? And they're like, well, it's, we made it a little fun. That's what they said. <laughs> that is really interesting because when you listen to it, most speakers have like a scooped frequency response curve. So they emphasize the bass, they emphasize the treble, mid-range a little scooped. Um, it's, it's like an inverse parabola. Um, the HomePod is flat. So you get all of this, you get all this bass. It's like makes an incredible amount of bass for its sound, mm. but you get all of this mid-range that you don't usually hear or is like usually de-emphasized in some way. And it just sounds really different and like really good and really spacious. Mm. That's great. I love that. Super into that. I think how it works is so unintuitive. Mm. It took like we in the video it's, we had this animation of how it works. It took me forever to just like explain 
because it, do, it oh, just I doesn't was, make any sense. It's a yeah, home. I was device. watching that video with uh, with somebody who had not been paying attention to the HomePod stuff, and we would watch it and then stop it and then rewind it forty five seconds and then watch it again and then talk <laughs> about it for five minutes and then watch it a third time. Yeah, so and you did a very good job explaining it. But it's, it, like, I, I it takes Apple, a lot to figure my, it out. My notes from my conversations with Apple about how it works, I sent them to Danny Deal, who one of our great reporters has background audio. They're basically like a graduate seminar in like sound reproduction theory. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it, they're like crazy. So it's got these seven speakers on the bottom, and it's got this four-inch woofer that points out the top, which is not normal for anything. The speakers, our video and Apple's video, it makes it sound like the tweeters are arranged like coming out, but they actually have waveguides in front of them. So the sound comes down. It comes down from the bottom and reflects off the table. So you said you have to put on a real soft service. We we actually put it in this podcast studio. Um, Miles, uh, one of our engineers, and Andrew, our podcast engineer, they put it in this room on the carpet and just like instantly muffled because it fires down. It doesn't fire out. It fires down into the ground and uses the table. Okay. So that's like super different. And those seven tweeters... Don't they're not individual channels of sound, which is super counterintuitive. They use beamforming, which means they use like uh, like interference of the individual sound waves to cancel out and like focus the sound energy. And that they, cr- if you put it against a wall, it creates three beams. If you put it in the middle of the room, it fires in three sixty de- degrees all directions. And all of that is happening in real time while they're tuning the room. And then they have a seventh microphone that measures the position of this, the bass speaker. Mm-hmm. And they can push the bass speaker louder and harder than other companies because they know that they won't blow it out. They can they can stop it if they measure it. Every 30 milliseconds they measure it. That is just an extraordinary amount. I think when I was talking, I literally said, that is fucking rad. And everyone just like looked pleased with themselves. Because um, it's cool. <laughs> yeah. That's great. I, like, man, I want that all the time. Yeah. I want some like crazy speaker computer that's like listening to itself. And then it's like home kit. Womp, womp. <laughs> it's yeah, like HomeKit's Siri. fine. HomeKit is HomeKit's a disaster. Fine. What? Setting up HomeKit is so fiddly and insane, and it doesn't have a canonical home. Where where's Wait, HomeKit yeah. live? Wait, there's are yeah, you saying there's true. no home for HomeKit? There's no. Uh, it well, there's is, no you app. cannot. It, HomeKit doesn't live anywhere. Right. There's an interface for it on your phone, but everything connects to the HomePod. But the settings or it used to be the Apple TV or the Apple TV or just an iPad that you have lying around. What? Yep, you I just have an iPad that. in your yeah. house. It can be HomeKit Hub. So everything connects to a device, but the settings for that device are not linked logically to it. They're just like floating in space. And then every other device in your life has like another app, except for the HomePod. The settings for the HomePod are in the HomeKit app. But if you want to turn off the feature, lets anybody text with your HomePod, which is a so default. So I'm actually. I'm going to defend HomeKit briefly. Okay. Uh, I think that the problem you're referring to is real. I think it's uh, the best Apple could do. I think they could very, very easily clean up the interface of the app itself. The fact that there's settings weirdly located under a compass icon in the upper left, for <laughs> it's example. It's insanity. The difference between like scenes and devices, like it's all very messy. Can you However, imagine Steve Jobs looking at the, the Home app and being like, yeah, ship it. He would be like, everyone uh, is fired. This elevator he ride would, is over. <laughs> he would compare it to the situation on Android where every single app, is, every single device is controlled by a different app. There is no uniformity across them at all. And trying to, you know, unify all of your different smart home devices that are on different things is a nightmare. Sure. But then you just buy a smart things hub and you open the smart things app and it's like relatively fine. It's not great, <sighs> but at least it's like 
you it you know like it's like a unified interface. Yeah, for you controlling have to the buy a in your house. special piece of hardware. You got to buy a special re- piece of hardware with Apple stuff too. <laughs> anyway, look. So that right. part is weird and bad. And then the Apple Music part. There's been just a lot of conversation about this. Yeah, I said in our video, you can't really use it with Spotify. Other people, our friends, like other people that we're friends with, Jonathan Morrison, good guy. Um, you know, he opened his video with, you can use it with Spotify and showed AirPlay to Spotify. Right. Yes, you can AirPlay almost anything to it, but AirPlay isn't actually controlling it. So Spotify right. is running on your phone. And if you are the sort of person who cares enough about sound quality by a HomePod, you are now sending whatever bitrate AUG files to your phone, which are being decoded, and then over AirPlay re-encoded to Apple Lossless, which is not great for sound quality necessarily, sent over AirPlay to the HomePod. And then the HomePod can send AirPlay commands back to your phone. But if your phone goes away, it's all happening on your phone. And there's like remote, right. there's like remote buttons on the HomePod. Yeah. What you want is to just talk to the HomePod and have it run Spotify. That's a very different. And I don't know why I can't. It's an iOS computer. It has an A8 chip. It's almost like they made a speaker. That and is, Apple makes all of its money in hardware sales. It doesn't have any plugs in the back. It's basically did. <laughs> it's yeah. like, this is the best speaker. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I don't think Sorry, Apple Music. Sorry, you, you can't plug music into it. But I, just know in your head how good it sounds. I just don't think Apple Music sounds. gets you anything. Like, it doesn't make it better. But the, right? the, the, in the, the way that Apple's other here. software makes its hardware better, they make their money in hardware sales. Apple Music. Right. Look. Can I get I, really I, esoteric? Oh, my God. Okay. It's true. It's <laughs> wild. There's this concept in the world that digital copyright people always talk about called the celestial jukebox, right? What happens when you have free – this is before people start talking about the cloud. The celestial jukebox. Mm. Uh-huh. What happens when you can just access any song in the world from anywhere and it just comes to you? That's streaming services. It's like this thing, this like very esoteric idea that copyright people used to talk about all the time came true in the form of these services. Mm. They are not differentiated to you in the consumer. Literally the only difference between Spotify and Apple Music to you is the range of songs in the catalogs. Catalogs are largely similar. And the interfaces on your phone. You take away the interfaces and you replace them with voice services. Now they are completely undifferentiated. There's nothing that they can offer you apart from on the margin some songs that the other service doesn't have. There's literally – well, some playlist curation. I got my first ever good daily mix because they just cribbed from all my favorite playlists I've made right. myself. Right. These are the ways that they are trying to differentiate, mm. but they're not – they all do it. They can also differentiate by being available in more places. All right. So, so Spotify, Spotify is available in more places than Apple Music. Right. The Celestial Jukebox has a larger reach. Right. Right. You, you can connect to that jukebox using – a wider but range I of think devices. of celestial jukeboxes. I think of I think that they can reach everything. Right. So Spotify you're, is a horizontal if you're service. In space. You can get a car if you buy a connected car, it runs the Spotify app natively in the car. Right? You there are all kinds of speakers with Spotify Connect. Uh WebOS TVs have Spotify Connect. Like it, they're everywhere. Maybe so the, 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 the oh, PlayStation ahead, has Spotify. There's two fundamental questions that we need to talk about here if we're if we're like complaining about this. One, um Will AirPlay 2 be so good and get adopted so quickly that – and maybe it will have some Siri integration that this problem goes away because AirPlay 2 is like deeply integrated into Siri in some way. And so like whether or not the HomePod talks to it directly or not, uh, this problem goes away too. Did Apple not include 
these other services and these other capabilities into the HomePod because they're philosophically uh, against it or because they just haven't gotten to it yet? And I suspect the answer to that second question is yes and yes. I think that they haven't gotten to it yet, but there are some people that don't want to and there's some people that do inside Mm. Apple and they're both like working to achieve their ends at the same time. That's probably... Way more nuanced and correct than what I was going to (laughs) say. I don't think Apple actually cares about whether or not it runs Apple Music. Apple Music doesn't make them any money. It never really will compared to the vast amount of money they make selling hardware. But to the point of how you led this conversation off, if they've truly made the world's greatest cantaloupe-sized speaker, (laughs) maybe it's a competitive advantage. I don't. So we, Everybody we, wants to have a HomePod, but you got to use Apple Music with it. Ah, oh, well, it's the same yeah, price as Spotify. I guess I'll switch. I don't think that people care about sound quality. I'm somebody Everyone who does. wanted. Uh, see, this is what I was talking about two weeks ago. Everyone wanted the iPod because it had a compelling design and a compelling technological advantage. Is everyone going to want the HomePod in the same way? And the answer is, yeah, I'll probably get a Sonos One because they have a different level of like things they're paying attention to than we did back when the iPod came out. Uh, and we're just like, we're smarter, savvier consumers of how like cloud services work than we were back then. Well, yeah. So the, the compelling technique in your framework, Dieter, what Paul is asking is, is the speaker stuff a compelling technical advantage for the HomePod? Right. Right. And I think the answer is people are out there with AirPods in their ears. They, they do not care about sound quality. It is just abundant proof that they don't. The other products that Apple sells that are very popular are Beats speakers, which some of them are very good. Most of them sound not very good, right? Like they sound they, – they have that but sonic signature Be- that people love or hate. There's not like a – Beats worked because it, it, it the people who liked how it sounded loved how it sounded. Yep. And they were a status symbol. Yep. It was like a one-two punch and they went – they were everywhere. Well, I'll put – OK. I'll, I'll put it to you this way. So we A-B tested all the speakers in my house. It was a really, really long but very fun day. Mm-hmm. We listened to the same song over and over and over again. What was the song? It was because uh, we had to film it. It was like a royalty-free. Oh, no. it was, it's on the video. You can watch it. It's called Buffalo. It's very – it's real something. We all know all the words now. The words are nonsensical. Okay. Uh, but we listened to it over and over again. It is. It was abundantly clear in that A-B test that maybe the Sonos Play 5, which is much bigger – could do what the HomePod was doing in terms of filling the room and being spacious and all that stuff. But compared to every other speaker, the HomePod was just, like, obviously better. No contest right. compared to the Sonos Play 1 or the Sonos 1 mm-hmm. um, and everything else that we were trying. The Google Home Max does not sound nearly as good. But I think only crazy people do that. I think product reviewers do that. I think regular people who are not product reviewers buy a pretty nice speaker. It is probably better than the other speakers that they've had. They set it down, they turn it on, and they're like, that sounds pretty good. And they move out on with their days. And I will tell you, I have Sonos Play 1 in my kitchen. It sounds really good while we're cooking. There's not a t- it's not like an active listening environment, right? The water's run. We're doing all this stuff. It sounds really good. That's it. You bar reached. You can't improve that experience unless you are a very serious kind of music listener. So I don't know if sound quality is the thing that wins there, especially when – the interface, if you want to get back to what Dieter's saying with the iPod, the interface for the iPod was, like, brilliant. Right. Yep. Siri is the interface here. 
Siri is yeah. not brilliant. And that's like the other thing that makes it lonely is like Alexa is this vibrant platform. And like maybe you don't use any skills, but there's all kinds of new skills. You can like monkey with stuff. Um, you know, they made the ad for the Super Bowl. Now there's like a skill where Gordon Ramsay yells at you. It's like there's like fun stuff happening with Alexa. It's like free to develop for. You don't, there's a vibrancy to that platform. Mm. There's no vibrancy to the Siri platform, as near as I can tell. And to get a new capability in Siri, you've got to get an app on the phone. It's just like, uh, that's why I say it's lonely. Like there's so much exciting stuff happening with voice assistants, mm. but none of that developer or ecosystem attention is pointed at Siri in the same way. So you get this and like, yeah, you can set one timer at a time. You can ask to play Apple Music. You can set up HomeKit, flip on a light. Yeah. But all the action is happening somewhere else. I don't know. It's just lonely. A brilliant, it sounds good, perfect, though. lonely thing. Yeah. And that doesn't seem like Apple. Like Apple's success is like the app store on the iPhone. Like make an app store for the HomePod. Just do it. So, so they ate chip. Well, they I I mean, feel, do stuff. I feel like Siri from day one, they were not capitalizing on their app store Massive lead. Yeah, they weren't well, capitalizing so, on the fact that developers love to make quality things for Apple products. Yeah. Siri I, is it, here's my here's my theory of Siri. It is the most un-Apple thing they've ever done, and that is they got to market too early. Wow, you're so right. But they could have just won. They did, but they didn't because they the, the technology wasn't ready. People didn't know how to interface with a voice assistant. They didn't know what the like killer app for voice was. And like the the rules for like how you want to talk to this thing and opening it up to an app ecosystem, all the stuff that makes uh, makes Alexa work was stuff that we didn't know about back then when it first came out, and it it established itself and established what people think of it, and it hasn't been able to shake it since. And some of that is fair. Uh, actually, most of it is probably fair, but some of it's unfair. Siri's actually relatively capable, except for you know. Well, setting timers. <laughs> if you think if you think of how we personify how voice assistants are the most personified technology in our lives. Mm-hmm. If you talk to somebody and they're a big dumbo, <laughs> you're not gonna come back. I wonder if six months later, I wonder if that dumb person is super smart now. Well, maybe and it's software. It you gets like smarter. No, software does. But mm-hmm. most people don't become dramatically smarter in six months. That would be surprising and then be really but exciting. But it's not a person. If they do, then, but like, I'm saying, then but, they, they end up getting oh, – you're saying ends up becoming a tragedy where they get radically smarter in six months, but then it turns out to be a degenerative disease and then they, yeah. they die six months later. That it's real. Serena, did you just real, recap like, Flowers for Algernon on the Verge yes, cast? Yes, I did. <laughs> All right, just checking, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> really, Early off today, I, I made a really great uh, corporate metaphor about uh, the ones who walk away from Omelas, too. So I'm having a banner day. I mean, do you guys want to talk about Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim, the greatest children's book ever written? Uh, was it Mrs. Frisbee? And the Rats of Nim. Hmm. The Rats of Nim, very, very good book. Was Heard it the greatest it. children's book ever? Heard of it. I don't know about that. I just like though. the idea of clever mice running around doing stuff. But do they become <laughs> dramatically smarter within the span of six months? Well, it depends on how do you think how do you think rodents perceive time? Here, here's here's <laughs> <laughs> is this is rat ears. <laughs> <laughs> here's what Apple could do: kill Siri, right? Come out with a new. Here is is Apple Assistant, the hot new 
gender neutral, yeah. vastly yeah. more intelligent, smart assistant. I Maybe. like it. I, I just think, look, th- this platform thing is the thing I've been thinking about. Spotify is a platform, right? Like people build apps that access Spotify and like use it in surprising ways. There, we covered one this week where basically the recommendation algorithm is laid bare to you and you can like adjust sliders and see what it gives you. Um, so Spotify builds its own weird little apps like Time Capsule. Like it's a platform for music that extends and people can do things with it. Mm-hmm. Sonos is like a little bit of a platform for like audio in your home, right? There are lots of different kinds of devices that can connect to Sonos. It's all one party. It's a one party platform, but you can like fit it into every little corner in every little way that you want. Right? By the like, way, uh, CEO of Sonos, Patrick Spence, was on Too Embarrassed to Ask right before the uh, re- uh, reviews came out for the HomePod. So if you want to hear how Sonos is dealing with this um, before the HomePod came out, but yeah. it, nothing changed. Uh, you should go listen to Too Embarrassed to Ask from uh, last week, I think it was. Yeah. I, it's funny. I, before the home, I got the HomePod, I was like, this is a lot of bluster. And afterwards, I was like, eh, it's not as much bluster as I thought. Um, <laughs> but, like, you know, like should, Sonos, should... but like Sonos makes home theater stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. they, make, they make little boxes that connect to other stereos. They make amps that you can just, like, plug regular speakers into. Like it's a full, complete thought about how you might put music in every part of your house. Alexa, Google Assistant are platforms that developers are flocking to. What you want is to be near the platforms where the action are or the platforms that can extend and fit into your life. I think what Apple is doing, this is I think the second time I've said this about Apple product, they are asking you to adjust your life to fit their products. Mm-hmm. And I, I just don't think that they're providing as much value to, to you as you're getting out of that adjustment. As, I don't – right? Like – I don't think you're getting as much for the cost of the adjustment in return from the product. Yeah. That, that's like the core piece of the HomePod that it makes it seem lonely to me. It's just like you alone in a room and I feel smiling like, at audio quality. And I feel like the unanswered question is, is the HomePod uh, fully baked or is that actually Apple's ideology? It was already late. That's like the crazy thing. You could be late and non-fully baked. Well, it, 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 it's like, like rushed and late at the same time is bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's true. Uh, so here's just a last one, then we got to move on. We got we to get Lauren on the show. So it doesn't differentiate voices. Uh-huh. So on Circuit Breaker, Paul asked it to read text. Yes. Just read my text I, I read happily. a Walt Mossberg text from yeah. Eli's phone. Uh, neat, whatever. <laughs> it's not great. But what is cool is that when, I, when you say, hey, Siri – you know, my phone recognizes my voice. So when I say it, my phone lights up, and then it negotiates with the HomePod of the network, and the HomePod takes the query, which is neat. Yeah, everybody does that. Like, right. I, it, wait, wait, I, just let me finish the thought. No, okay. it, it's it's just neat that they do it. But yeah, because but everybody it do- does it. But okay. because they don't <laughs> recognize voices, <laughs> if you have an iPhone that isn't iClouded over to the HomePod, everything just goes off at once. Hmm. In both mm. devices. It's like literally like they just never had two people in a room at the same time with the HomePod. Well, they only had, was it, select approved listeners? <laughs> yeah, what were they called? Trusted listeners. <laughs> it's just like get get some friends. I don't know. Anyway, I'm going to read one more ad and then we're going to talk about something much happier. Rockets. Cars in space. 
This episode of the Vergecast is brought to you by Mattress Firm. It has one question for all the I'm going to listen to podcasts to help me fall asleep people. Are you struggling to get some sleep? If you answered yes, you're in luck because there's a great tip for how you can fall asleep more easily. And that is basically to buy a new mattress. From Mattress Firm, America's neighborhood mattress store, which lets your budget stretch farther when you're looking for ways to improve your sleep. They're more than mattress experts. They're the whole package helps you transform your mattress into a bed from adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor. Do they make soft mattresses or just firm mattresses? Every kind of mattress. They got you covered, literally and figuratively. Go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to see what deals are happening right now as I read this sentence to you. There's a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120-night low-price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price. So go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to learn how your sleeping could be monumentally improved. And if you're still awake, we're going to start the podcast again right now. Lauren Grush is here. Hello, Lauren. Hi. How are you? I'm... I'm okay. How, How are it? you? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I appear to have gotten more sleep than you recently, but you <laughs> just came back from the Falcon Heavy launch, which seems like a real emotional roller coaster. Tell us everything. Oh, gosh. Where should I start? Yeah, I mean, I've kind of been waiting for this launch for, what, five years now? <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, as soon as I heard rumors of a launch day, I booked my ticket down to Cape Canaveral, Florida. Where they launch from? I was told that you and bought a one-way ticket. Is this is this I true? Did. <laughs> what? I did. Well, I mean, it's a new rocket, so you know there could have been all sorts of technical issues. And if you'd been following the um, the static fire, which is the test that they do before uh, they fly the rocket, that static fire test kept getting pushed back and back and back, and then a government shutdown happened, which pushed it back <laughs> a bit. So I figured, you know, something similar would probably happen for launch. Um, but I mean, it really worked out just right. Uh, the weather was really nice. I mean, we had some, there was um, some delays when we were down there on the day. They pushed back the launch like incrementally every 30 minutes. And we thought it was going to be pushed back to the next day. Um but then they ended up launching like 15 minutes before their launch window cut out. Wow. So it really was very lucky. So Lauren, you've been to, you've, you've like watched a regular Falcon launch rocket launch, right? You've been present or like yeah. in the zone for that. Can you just <laughs> having been, you know, within, I don't know how far away, how far were you? Like a couple of miles, a mile, how far away were you? Uh, three you miles. We're, we watched three miles. Yeah. yeah. When you're at NASA, they have this, the NASA press site, which is like right. a nice little field, that iconic countdown clock. And um, it's right next to the vehicle assembly building, which is that huge building with the NASA logo on it where the space shuttle used to sit and the mm -hmm. Saturn V rocket uh, was put. So um, it's a really great spot to watch the launch. And I really love being there for the launches. What was the, like, if you could try and describe the difference between experiencing the Falcon Heavy versus, you know, some other previous, not quite as huge and insane rocket. Is it just, is it just bigger? Is it louder? Does it knock you over more? Is it just cooler? <laughs> yeah. It's all those things really. Um, <laughs> I'd say, well, well, the first thing, but even before it launched is like the energy in the air was just kind of crazy. Cause, um, I've been to these launches before and it's really not a lot of people. Um, you know, some people come in from out of town, but it's mostly Florida, Space Press Corps, 
Um, but this time, I think they said like 400 reporters had requested credentials. All the major networks were there. I mean, I think I saw something that it ran on all of the news, you know, during primetime or whatever, or they took it live. So first and foremost, it was packed when I was down there. Then when it launched, I mean, I was warned beforehand that it would sound like a bomb. <laughs> and and it, it really did. Like, it starts off as this low rumble because it's far away, so you don't hear it right away. And then it just kind of engulfs the entire area. And I was screaming at the top of my lungs, and you couldn't hear me. Like, I was trying to yell <laughs> at Christian, and you couldn't hear me. And, I, yeah, I mean, it's just... It's, it's so much bigger and like it, I would, I, even when you see a rocket, like a regular rocket launch, you're just like, how is that thing in the air? Like it's so big. And this time, this was like an even, you know, a more heightened experience. I was just like, how is that thing flying? <laughs> it's ginormous. Wait, so actually I have this question. I think it's, I think this is just like really common. I don't think SpaceX gives you a good sense of scale with their videos. Because there's rarely any like human sized elements in them. You're they're really far away. And like I've I've seen people who think like the Falcon Nine is like a tiny little thing. But it's huge. Yeah. So how yeah. like how big yeah. is it? Uh oh gosh. I don't know the exact number off the top of my head. But it's something like the main core is like fourteen stories or seventeen stories. You know, it's about the size I, I I think I compared it to the size of our office building. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, consider that. Like, you go to work inside a Falcon Heavy um, or a Falcon And it Nine. never goes to space. <laughs> Every single day. I, I, I was sort of, I feel like I read s somewhere possibly on the verge, possibly something that you wrote, <laughs> is that this was, this was considered a success if it didn't blow up and destroy the, the, the launch pad. Is that, is that correct? Well, mostly, yeah. So there were, there were, so many different failure scenarios for this because there were so many different moving parts. Um, they not only were they launching it, but they were also landing all three of the boosters afterwards. Mm. So there was the possibility of, oh, it launched, but the boosters didn't land, or you know, yeah, it blew, it blew up. So it kind of the 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 scale of failure starts at blowing up the launch pad. That's the worst case scenario. But that wasn't a big mm -hmm. fear. Uh, I mean, everyone kept talking about it because the launch pad that it launched from was, is a pretty historic site. It's LC-39A, which, um, was used to launch the Apollo 11 mission to the moon. And it, you, it was used for 82 space shuttle missions. Um, and now SpaceX leases the site from NASA, which is why they launched from there. So if they had blown it up, they would have, yeah. you know, destroyed a landmark in space. And also it would have given SpaceX a huge headache because they're supposed to launch humans from that site later this year. So if they had blown it up, that would have significantly delayed that. And that's a program for NASA that they're doing. So hmm. there would have just been all sorts of headaches if they had blown up the launch pad. Look, launch pads but aren't I about history. They're meant to be used. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, wait, so let's let's get to the, the thing. You interviewed Elon, which is incredible. I did. I did. What was he? Was he uh, just like vibrating with nervousness? What was his vibe? No, he was so exuberant. <laughs> he like <laughs> he, he stepped out, and you could just tell he was in the best mood. He was giddy, laughing, you know, like just 
I don't know. You could, he was just kind of glowing. <laughs> so it was, it was a nice interview. Um, he walked up to me and I, I told him that we bought one of his flamethrowers. <laughs> what he said. And he was like, he said, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. He um, said, it's too dangerous. So that's on y'all. <laughs> that's what we're here for. I mean, I was just, yeah. there's a point in the video where you ask him, like, what are you most excited for? And he just, like, looks at the rocket for a while. <laughs> <laughs> right? And I was like. I do know exactly what you're talking about. And yeah. it's so funny. It's like, I, it's the dumb, like, I build, like, an Ikea bookcase. And then, like, for the rest of the day, I'm just, like, looking at it. Like, I did it. And he's, like, looking at the, <laughs> the Falcon, like, the same way, but, like, 10,000 times more. <laughs> Uh, so like what, what did you get? What was like the most interesting thing that Elon said to you? I like talking about, um, the different possibilities for the use of the Falcon heavy. So he talked about how he'd be happy to, you know, have NASA use this in any way that they want with their plans. Um, and he also told us at the time that, um, cause I'd asked him about the, the trip around the moon that they were planning to do. Uh, some background, like last year they said they were going to fly two tourists around the moon on the Falcon Heavy. And he told me that they weren't sure if they were going to use the Falcon Heavy to send people anymore. They're probably just going to use the their next big rocket, the BFR, to do that instead. So no, no uh, tourists going to space <laughs> on the Falcon mm -hmm. Heavy in the foreseeable future. What's the difference between the BFR and the Falcon Heavy? Um, BFR is a whole lot bigger. <laughs> yeah. So why do you, I, I heard, what, hey, the, I, I forget what is, what is the F nominally stand for? We know what it actually stands for, but what is the F and BFR it, supposed to like? It's big Falcon rocket. <laughs> okay. That's okay. Good. Uh, I mean, he's just like a little kid. He's like, he blasts his car <laughs> into space and he's like making these jokes. Um, but why? So I heard in the press conference, he said, we, we almost canceled this thing three times. Yeah. Which is like interesting just as a phrase. Like we almost mm -hmm. like we tried to and we couldn't stop ourselves from making this rocket. It's like how <laughs> it came out. Um but why why continue the Falcon Heavy if they're just gonna replace it with the BFR? I think for now it allows them to get into a different type of market for their business. And eventually once they have the BFR, that can take over the business of both the Falcon 9 and the Falcon Heavy. Um so so think of the BFR as like a combination of those two. And for now, you know, the Falcon 9 is going to focus on the smaller satellites and the BFR and the Falcon Heavy can focus on, for instance, national security payloads that the Falcon 9 can't lift right now because they're too big. You know, so if they're, this, I think of this as more of like a medium term solution as SpaceX continues to build uh, and develop the BFR. Right. Okay, let's talk about the car in space for two minutes. Okay, I love I love the car in space so much. Like I know, every time I, I think about it, like like I just get so happy. Like, is it is is it dumb? Like, what I don't know. What, what do you think about this? So, I can completely understand every. There was a lot of backlash. There still is to the car. You know, it, why why not just auction it off and put something else that makes more sense? You know. And I totally think all of those concerns are valid. But at the same time, just look at the response that, <laughs> yeah. that it got. You know, everybody was, I mean, even my friends who give no, you know, 
they don't care at all about space. We're, t- you know, messaging me and talking to me. Like everybody was so into it. So I'm all about something that engages people like that and gets them involved. I mean, I bet a bunch of astronauts were converted that day, you know, yeah. like, or, or soon to be astronauts. Well, the problem that. is that they're all like 10 years old and they think they get to go to space in a car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, cause isn't the issue that like the rocket could have failed. So you need a payload that is not important basically. Yeah. I mean, that, that was their justification, but I also saw a good point and that's, you know, anybody who has a research payload, it's really hard to get a rocket to take you to orbit. So even if it had exploded, I bet there were people out there that would have gladly put their their research on there for free because, hell, you know, that's a free rocket ride. <laughs> why, why not? Or not even for free, but even if a discounted price with the chance of explosion, you know, like... That's a, that's a risk you always take when you go to space. So, yeah. you know, but like I said, you know, it's their their decision. And I see both sides. But personally, I mean, those pictures are so good. I mean, I, I think you're right. I think a lot of people like everyone knows about the car in space. It's just everywhere. Yeah. Like it is a symbol of I mean, it's basically like the most cowboy America symbol ever. It's right? the most. Like, <laughs> it's, yeah. the mo- it, it's funny. Like kids being I when I was a teenager, I think. I read a short story by Arthur C. Clarke called Sunjammer, also known as The Wind from the Sun, which is about a yacht race in space with, like, solar sails right and my stuff. Alley. And that was, like, this captures why I love space. Like, that short story did. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Car in Space also <laughs> does that. This exact same thing that short story made me feel. Yeah. So, Laura, I, I, think it, I think... Go ahead. I just want to say... It's like if they hadn't put the dummy in it, it wouldn't have been as good. Mm, but yeah, man, that yeah. shot and the and I think the thing that I don't know if anyone else noticed it, but he had his arm like draped yeah, over yeah. the car door. <laughs> and I was like, that's just like that little detail. It's just it ever, cracked me up every time. Like yeah. so I, casual. He's not a so much too. people say that they hated the car in space until they saw that the dashboard said don't panic. Like they they sent yeah. him along with a hitchhiker's guide. Yeah. Um, which is great. The the thing that was tweaking me out the whole time when I was watching the live stream is because it was, you know, rotating in and out of the sunlight, you would see the shadow move on his hand on the steering wheel. And I kept on thinking that that meant he was moving. And I was like, ah, ah." like if I were Elon, I would have put just a a little robot in the helmet (laughs) and right before the feed cut out, he should have just turned the helmet to look at the camera and then cut. That's good. Yeah. Uh, um, Someone someone told me that they should have had, um, robots in the, the the hands and it just do a thumbs up. <laughs> That's pretty good. Wait, this, the, the feed is cut forever, right? Or will we ever get back? I don't think so, no. Oh. The batteries ran out. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a bunch of, how do they attach the car? Do they, they tell you? That's what I was thinking about. I was like, oh, no. How did like how did it survive all that vibration? How is that dude sitting in it? Like, There's a picture of it. I'm like, sure that's it, probably pr- proprietary technology. But it was like mounted at an angle inside the rocket. Yeah. I, um, so we were having the hardest time figuring out because normally how a normal payload works, they, (laughs) (laughs) they, they mount it on a payload adapter, which if you remember the zoom emission, that, that was like what all the grief was about was the payload adapter didn't, you know, separate, or that's the speculation. The payload adapter didn't separate the satellite. Um, so we were trying to figure out, you know, is the rocket eventually going to separate 
from the Tesla. Uh, and I think we've, uh, we found out that they didn't separate. So the rocket is forever mounted or the, the Tesla is forever mounted to the rocket. So I thought the structure that it was mounted on might have been the payload adapter. And so it was eventually going, going to jettison the car <laughs> off from the rocket. But was it there looks like air in the tires? There, the tires <laughs> um, looked inflated, but there's no way that they put air in that. There's no way that would stand up to the rigors of space. So what did they fill the tires yeah. with? No, I'm fairly certain that the tires couldn't have been filled because I saw a bunch of tweets that were like, you you can't put air in the tires because that it'll explode. I just have this <laughs> image looked, of Elon looked inflated. <laughs> I just have this like Sorry. he had to figure it out, right? Yeah, like he's like and in someone, his hot tub, like you know, like wine glass in hand, being like, "Well, you can't have air in the tires," and like yeah, that was then somebody's he has to, like, job go to for work. a month to like edit the alter the car to like rig it up to be space ready. Yeah, I do need to know as many facts about. All right, the we car need to back up. The, the car is fundamentally possible. ridiculous. It is a symbol of our well, national I, character. I think we found a, a commercial excuse for space flight. I think <laughs> all current space industry should pivot to car launches. All right, so Lauren, here's the, my real question, and then we'll let you finally get some rest. Um, okay. Uh, why is SpaceX able to do this, and why are they just so far ahead? Like, oh gosh, it, ju it, it just seems like. You know, like they started landing Falcons and no one is catching up to them. Like there's blue. I saw you were um, Instagramming that you like went by Blue Origin. Like there was this yeah. moment when it seemed like, OK, all this commercial activity is happening. But it's just like SpaceX just like racing ahead and you just don't see the rest of it. Like what is driving them so far ahead? Um, You know, I think that's a very complicated question, Um, but I think it's just a combination of different things like you know, it's, I'm sure the way that they do business, the way that they manufacture, they probably found some, some, you know, streamlined processes there that we're not aware of. And also their, their business model is pretty smart. You know, they have a lot of private investment, but then they also, you know, have a lot of investment from NASA and NASA's helped, like they, what they'll do is they'll develop um, capabilities with partial NASA funding. And, you know, they get a lot of flack for that, but look at where they, they are with it, you know? So I think it's just a combination of how they do business and, and how they, and manufacture and just being forward thinking, you know, um, when it comes to space, ironically, there's a lot of people stuck in the past and, and then the old way of doing things and SpaceX is daring to think differently about it, you know? And so they get a lot of criticism for it, but then here you go. You get, they launch a car into space. <laughs> but like, you know, ULA or Blue Origin or whoever else, like they can't reorient themselves fast. And like what, what's holding them back? Well, I mean, let's not knock ULA because, you know, they like, they have a very reliable rocket program. Um, and, I believe when I, I've spoken with ULA CEO and he just says that, oh, you know, um, the reusability just isn't economically feasible. And to be fair, it's not like SpaceX is saving a ton of money with their reusability program. Um, so I think it's more like ULA plays it safe, you know, whereas SpaceX just is kind of being a little more daring on that front. Yeah. I mean, I, I was thinking about it, you know, previously 
before the Falcon Heavy and this sort of like incredible run of SpaceX hype, like rockets mm -hmm. took off all the time. We were launching rockets in 2001, and, right? Like there wasn't this like incredible emphasis that's placed on it now. I think that's like part of the SpaceX story. Like at, when oh, ULA yeah, launches sure. a rocket, like the world doesn't stop to like watch the live stream. Maybe they just need younger, no, hipper hosts yeah. on their live streams. Or they should put cars <laughs> in their rockets. <laughs> yeah, it's obvious. Um, they should. But, you know, I mean, let's. Uh, that's the other thing. Like, I do love SpaceX, but they do get overhyped a little bit, like, when it comes to, yeah, yeah, the Falcon Heavy is the most powerful rocket currently. But, you know, the space shuttle was a very powerful vehicle, <laughs> you know, and so was the Saturn V rocket. And we've got other rockets coming online in the in the coming years that will be more powerful than the Falcon Heavy. So, yeah, I think SpaceX just has figured out how to capture the imagination and I think it's because they they try to do new things and they also just are kind of sexy, you know? Like they make things look good. Yeah. And they're very focused on aesthetics and let's be honest, that's kind of you know how you get people to like what you do. Yeah. Um, so I was, you mentioned Christian earlier, who's one of our video directors. I saw Corey, one of our other video directors this morning, and he was saying that all of you were talking about how you were on this high after the rocket launched and now you're like on a, on the downswing, right? Cause it's like, it happened. What's the next big yeah. thing you're looking forward to? Oh, I mean, there's a ton happening this year. Um, like, uh, the I guess the next one I would say is the Mars Insight lander is launching uh, in May. And so that's going to send a, another lander to Mars. And then I'm really looking forward to the commercial crew program, which thankfully, since the launch pad didn't blow up, hopefully that won't get <laughs> delayed. Um, and that's and that's NASA's effort to put to to put people on commercial vehicles. And so space SpaceX and Boeing are both developing the spacecraft and they're supposed to do demonstration missions this year however a bunch of auditing has shown that they're probably that might get delayed to next year but um at least we're getting close or we're hopefully getting close and i believe i think that when astronauts launch on those vehicles we'll see even more interest than we did for the falcon heavy yeah. because that'll be the first time that we've sent people to space from U.S. soil again, and it's been so long. I mean, the last launch was in 2011, so I think that'll be a huge event. Yeah. Also, spacecraft is coming back, which is kind of where I was leading you. But... <laughs> 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 no, all that stuff is expensive. Bigger <laughs> uh, But no, spacecraft. I mean, that stuff is amazing. It's amazing that you. Um, are such an incredible space reporter, and we get to see your work on the bridge all the time. But spacecraft is coming back. You want anything you want to say about it before we let you go? Yes, I. Um, we've already filmed some really great stuff, and I have. I'm setting up more shoots, and I think we're going to have an even better season than the first. Even though I really love the first season, so I'm really excited. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for delaying your sleep a little bit longer <laughs> to come on the Vergecast. Yeah. I know it's been a pretty wild ride for you. But thank you so much, Lauren. We'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right, we're going to read one more ad, and we're going to come back. Lightning round. Extra long episode. Like I said, week is packed of news. All right, here's the ad. You ready? This episode of Vergecast is brought to you by Simplisafe. 
Some say a company that's been around for many years. They've transformed into the fastest growing home security company in the nation. Now they protect over 2 million people, and they just released a brand new home security system, the all-new SimpliSafe. The system has been completely rebuilt and redesigned. They've added safeguards to protect against power outages, down Wi-Fi, caught landlines, bats, hammers. I heard about this. It's just like a long range. I heard about this <laughs> on a podcast ad uh, on another podcast. Uh, <laughs> are you worried about your landline going down or hammers? Simple Safe has got you. Bats? Who knows? Oh, not the animal bats. I don't know. I thought it was like some sort of like sonar, it just says bats. sonar interference. The Aldi Simple Safe was redesigned to be practically invisible with powerful sensors so small you'll hardly notice them. You know who will notice them though? Intruders when you unleash your army of trapped bats. <laughs> <laughs> Simple Safe spent years of building the system. They've added so much, but you get the same fair and honest price. 24-7 protection for only $15 a month, and there's no contract. It's smaller, faster, and stronger than anything they've built before, but supply is very limited. So visit simplesafe.com slash verge now to order. That is simplesafe.com slash verge. Protect your home and family today with uh, it's it, I'm assuming it's actual technology. Yeah. And not just a box full of bats. Well, the bats, if it is just bats, they're definitely ethically treated. That explains this limited supply. (laughs) (laughs) Simplesafe.com slash merch. All right, Paul, every week, Uh my dude, you do a segment. Yep. What's it called? It's always called USB Secrets. (laughs) No. <laughs> Here's what I got the dongle life so wrong. Yeah. I, I, I believe I've already admitted on this podcast that I lost mm-hmm. the dongle wars. Yeah. What I thought was happening was that we would be able to use high bandwidth, high quality connections that are at the bottom of our phones to power new listening experiences. Yeah. And we could have great digital audio converters. In our headphones, and our headphones would have power and noise canceling, but we wouldn't have to recharge them because they'd be powered off of the phone. Yeah. We were a entering- promise explicitly made by Phil Schiller at, at, well, at the iPhone 7 keynote. And one of the reasons, what, part of the trick was, we haven't even shipped the AirPods yet. Yeah. Right? So, I was wrong. They, you're just supposed to buy Bluetooth headphones, and you're supposed to suffer, okay? <laughs> so get ready to suffer. Essential uh, came out with some $99 USB-C earphones. They they originally yeah. launched with a dongle, mm-hmm. uh, and the dongle was not great, and their headphones are bad. Yeah. Vlad reviewed them for the site, gives them a five. Apparently, apparently, great microphone quality. Hey, yeah. there you go. Which is actually is important to me. These headphones, by the way, I tried them before I shipped them off to Vlad. They get stupid break your eardrums loud. Like huh. crazy loud. You got to be really careful with them, which is interesting, I guess. They also make a $50 pair, uh, which maybe that's okay. But either way, I think the fundamental problem here is building, uh, requiring, offloading all of the electronics and the DAC and whatever into the headphones yeah. uh, is, I think, just more, it requires more audio expertise than I think most companies can bear. It's a, it's a harder problem to get right than I think people right. were assuming. Well, and amplifiers are more of a physics problem. If, you know, audio processing, if it's just based on chips, like, can get smaller and smaller. But once you've got to amp it, you, yeah. you need a little bit of room for amplification. Good thing. Yeah, it's a real mess. 
It was uh, Helen Havlak's birthday, and I was going to buy her USB-C headphones. She's always complaining about she can't find any. And I was like, yeah. at any price, I would buy USB-C headphones. And uh, it turns out it can't. Can't be bought. <laughs> I was like, here's a bottle of bourbon. I couldn't figure out the headphones. Elon Musk will fire a car into space before there's good USB-C headphones. <laughs> like, whatever. <laughs> Sigh. Okay. Uh, tiny little lightning round. We're going to wrap up the show. Um, it's been just a huge week of news, and I think this has gotten buried a little bit, and I just want to call it out. Sarah Jong, who's one of our terrific reporters, she's a lawyer, she's an extraordinarily smart human being, um, is at the Uber Waymo trial. Waymo is Alphabet's self-driving car division. There's a whole drama about an Waymo employee going to work for Uber and stealing, like, 9.7 gigs of documents on the way out the door and like trashing the hard drives and like texting with Travis Kalanick about how they're going to have jam sessions. Uh, <laughs> Travis Kalanick was like, we got to get this guy because quote, this is a quote. Oh God. No, let me, say it. let me say it. Let me say, say it. it. Let me say it. Say it. The laser is the sauce. <laughs> laser is the sauce. <laughs> the laser is the sauce. By the way, it's funny because yesterday it was also Tesla's earnings results. Cause you're referring to LIDAR. And Elon Musk was like, LiDAR, LiDAR is a dead end. Laser's not the sauce. Hoo <laughs> Anyway. Um, Kalanick trial- also referred to uh, uh, Alphabet, but then Google, um, was he CEO? Whatever, Larry Page. He said that he was, quote, and I quote, he said this on the witness stand in front of the jury. He said that, man, Larry was, quote, super unpumped. Yeah. Super unpumped. Super oh, unpumped. What? About the deal falling through. It's the a whole, whole thing. thing. Yeah. Look, read Sarah's coverage of the trial. In any other week, this would be the biggest story in tech by far. Right? Yeah. Basically, Google is suing Uber. Only it's Alphabet because of Google's insane structure. Right. Yeah. But it's happening, and all of these people are cartoons. And the documents that are coming out are hilarious and insane. And the judge is mad at everybody. Mm-hmm. And Sarah is like, A, her Twitter feed is incredibly fun because she's just like live tweeting it all. But she's writing dispatches every day from the trial. Read that stuff. We're going to have Sarah on the Vergecast next week to talk us through what's going on. This will be good for me because I realize that I have some catching up to do. It's a lot. Yeah. It is It is absolutely an insane case. It's going to drag on forever. I just thought they were people, car people fighting. No, it's literally, no. It's literally Travis Kalanick recruited an engineer out of Google by means of his intermediary company. And on the way out the door, he stole stuff. And there's a laser. It's yeah. unclear what's what he stole. Yeah. Or if it was important, but, whether it was laser sauce. No one. It's that's what's happening in this trial. Okay, great. That's but why, so, that's why but Waymo is also. You know how you kind of don't like Uber, like you just they kind of have a bad reputation. Waymo is just whatever legal case they have, whatever tiny little you know, chocolatey core of you know legal case they have is surrounded by a massive cake of look how terrible Uber is. Yeah, and that's it's basically just, the it's case. It's so much fun to watch. Yeah, Sarah, Sarah's realizing they're just suing Uber for being Uber. Um, <laughs> but read her coverage. We're going to have her on next week. I'm just pointing out, in a week where it wasn't the HomePod and Vaunt and a car in space, this would be the thing that dominated, and it's it's a little subsumed. So I just want to call it out because Sarah's coverage, the trial itself is, like, hilarious and wonderful. Sarah's coverage is brilliant and incredible, and you should just, like, check it out. I also want to call out um, – Addie Robertson wrote an incredible feature for us about the people who keep CRT TVs alive. It is so good. It's mostly because of video games. Mm. Hilariously, that's the market. Like old video games where you don't want any lag. But there are people who just like collect them. 
read it. It's, a, it's fr- a friend of mine collects CRT TVs, and it's basically it's, there's like a story in every one. Yeah, he like finds people on Craigslist, and then he has to go to their house and hear a history of this television. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah, I just want to call out those things that are on the site this week because they're they're just really good, and in particular the the Uber and Waymo thing is. I just every night I read Sarah's dispatches and just crack up because they're so good. Um, also, Charles hilarious. And Circuit Breaker Live is back. We did our first episode on Tuesday. Pe- people seem to like it. Yeah, we uh, we timed it specifically to happen <laughs> during the most important thing that's ever happened in the history of the planet yeah. since the moon launch, basically. <laughs> You're like, do you want to watch Falcon Heavy, the world's most powerful rocket land, the second most popular live stream in YouTube history? Or do you want to watch us goof around with the HomePod? And I'll say this. Somewhere north of a couple thousand people did. So there do it go. all right. I have some close-up footage of me smushing the surface of the HomePod. Yeah. So you can definitely get that. That's pretty good. That's great. But Tuesdays for? Every week. Every week. It actually does have the same name every week. <laughs> four four o'clock Wait, Eastern. What are you trying to say? I'm just saying. I don't understand. I don't know if you notice a trend. Uh, watch Circuit Breaker Live. We love your questions in the chat. Thank you, everybody, for behaving yourselves. It was like incredible to watch a YouTube chat that was like positive and fun. Keep that up, or I'll ban you. And that's how I feel about YouTube. Uh, okay. There's also a bunch <laughs> of other stuff to listen to. Uh, this is exciting. Um, if you're going to South by Southwest, uh, the Vergecast and Why'd You Push That Button are going to be live. We're going to be live tapings at the Vox Media House at South by Southwest. So the Vergecast will be me, Dieter, Casey, Ashley, Carmen, and then Ashley and Caitlin are going to be Why'd You Push That Button live. They've got a pretty cool lineup of guests coming together. So if you're going to South by Southwest, look for that stuff. Come join us live. We'd be happy to see you. Um, Why'd You Push That Button is coming back soon. I actually just talked to Ashley today about the episodes they're putting together. Casey Newton, that podcast is coming. Converge with Casey Newton. I've been promised that so it's got a It's got a good tagline now. The interview game that is easy to win, but not impossible to lose. That's a new thing. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. I'm excited about that. That's coming soon. It's going to happen. But while you're waiting for all that stuff, like Dieter said, you can listen to Too Embarrassed to Ask with Lauren Good. She did have the CEO of Sonos on last week. That's a great episode. And we have a little promo from Recode Media. Check that out. Hello, VergeCast listeners. This is Peter Kafka. I'm the host of Recode Media. I just did an interview on my podcast that I think you will like. I talked to Mitch Lowe. He's the CEO of MoviePass. That is the much-buzzed-about company that lets you see about as many movies as you'd like for $10 a month. How can that work? Mitch Lowe explained that to me. If you want to hear us talk about that, and you should, it was great, you can check out my podcast, Recode Media with Peter Kafka. You can find that at recode.net or wherever you find fine podcasts like this one. So lots of stuff to listen to or just listen to the Virtcast over and over again. Mm, that's that what too. I do. That's all I do. It's weird. It's very self-indulgent. And we will see you next week. Rock and roll. Paul. Laser sauce. Elon Musk will fire a car into space before there's good USB-C headphones. <laughs>